Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, hey, good morning and uh, welcome to Lighthouse Community. And if I haven't seen you since uh, last year, Happy New Year to you and uh, really glad you're here. I do want to welcome especially all of our guests here at Lighthouse, but I also want to welcome all of our guests at Bluffton Community because this morning, Bluffton Community is joining us in the teaching this morning. So I'm wondering, Lighthouse, can we welcome Bluffton Community as they're with us today? Let them, yeah, show them some love. So we love you guys, and we're glad you're with us this morning. We also want to welcome anybody else who's joining us online, uh, wherever you're at. Thanks for being with us today. So um, I was baptized as an infant, right? I mean, at least that's what I was told. I don't remember anything about it. There's no photos or anything along those lines. But uh, rumor has it that I was baptized as an infant. And I wonder, just a quick survey, uh, how many in here, just by a raise of hand, all of our locations, uh, raise your hand. I, I was told that I was baptized as an infant. Raise your hand. I'm just, I'm just curious how many. Okay, yeah, awesome. Hey, if that's you online, maybe chat in the tap, or, uh, type in the chat. Yep, I was baptized as a baby as well. Well, uh, after my baptism, I really don't remember any discussions about God uh, after that, and so I just pretty much lived my life however I wanted to. And later in life, um, I met Jesus, and I came to put my faith in him, and he profoundly transformed my life. And so I started following him. I started serving in my church and uh, started to sense God was inviting me to, to work in the church uh, full-time. So I started pursuing that. And I had a conversation with my pastor at the time. And he asked, as we're just talking, he's asking me about my faith story, all these types of things. And then he goes, when were you baptized? And I said, I was baptized as a baby. And he goes, no, when were you baptized? And I said, I was baptized as a baby, right? And he goes, you don't understand. <laughs> when were you baptized after you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And I realized I had not been, uh, and quite frankly, because I just didn't know. I didn't know that that was something that, uh, that God wanted me to do. I had, nobody had shared that with me. Nobody had talked to me about that, and so I had no clue. And so we began to look at Scripture and study through all of that, and I came to find out in that moment, and since then, that baptism really is the best first step for every genuinely born again believer. That to take that, that is really the best first step that Jesus invites us to take as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when we're talking about baptism, I recognize and I realize that there are a lot of questions around baptism. We wonder, okay, who should be baptized? When should they be baptized? Why should they be baptized? How are they baptized? Do I get baptized more than once? Um, you know, Fritz, when he baptized people, he always jokes about holding them down for 30 seconds. And then if they make it back up, you know, then that means they were good. Uh, you know, like, what does all that mean, right? And so, you know, you got this tank, you have cowbells. I don't understand what is all involved in this. And so there's all of these questions surrounding baptism. And so for some of you, you look at baptism, you go, yeah, man, that was an amazing moment in my life. I still look back on that. Uh, that encourages me in my faith. Others of you, you're very confused about baptism, right? You have the, the questions I brought up and more. And then there's still others. You're going, 
I didn't even know that that was a thing. What is this thing called baptism? And so we're going to unpack all of that because I want you to understand this. Baptism is absolutely critical in the life of a believer, but not only in the life of a believer, but actually in the life of the church as well. And when we bypass baptism, when we step right on by baptism, we actually miss a really central moment in the life of every believer. And so today I want to show you from the Bible what baptism is and one step that you can take that will help you to look forward to maybe your own baptism, but also to look forward to the baptism of others. Uh, and, and then even maybe reflect on your own in a different way as well. So as Josh mentioned, uh, Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. If you brought a Bible, you can flip there, or, uh, click over there on your device while you're going to Colossians 2. I would like to take a moment and pray and just kind of humble ourselves before the Lord uh, for just a moment. Lord, I, I have, uh, I've got notes here prepared. You have, um, I have sensed your spirit leading me uh, in preparation this week. Um, and yet, um, I don't even really want to rely on that. I really want to rely on your spirit in this moment. Um, and I really want to invite our church family to rely on you in this moment, um, to hear your voice, to maybe read passages that have been read countless times before, and yet today it just hits differently. It hits freshly. Maybe for others, this is the first time uh, hearing or reading some of these passages, and uh, it would speak deeply to who we are as people and individuals made in the image of God. And so would you, Holy Spirit, lead us in truth today? We want to hear from you more than anybody else. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Okay, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to start in, let's see, where am I starting? Oh yeah, I'm starting in verse 8. <laughs> I forgot where I was starting. Uh, verse 8, and it says this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of our, uh, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so you can see Paul is diving deep into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I think one of the things that if the Apostle Paul were here today, 
is he would say this, is to understand baptism, you really have to understand salvation. To understand baptism, you really have to understand what salvation even is. So I want to take just a few moments and talk about how Paul describes salvation in this letter. And where he starts, salvation begins with Jesus. Right? This is where he begins. This is the starting point. You cannot get to salvation. You cannot get to forgiveness. You cannot get to a new life without Jesus. Right? You can't sidestep him. You have to actually go through him. And what Paul says, he says that Jesus is completely God in bodily form. Right? Another way to translate that might be Jesus is every bit of God in the flesh. That everything that's true about God is true about Jesus. And so if you want to see God in the flesh, in bodily form, you look at Jesus. In fact, this is something that Jesus said to his disciples. There was a moment when his disciples were together and one of them asked the question. They said, uh, Jesus, if you would just show us the Father, that would be enough for us. And look at Jesus' response in John chapter 14, verse 9. It says this. Actually, let's do this. Let's this verse out loud together, uh, all of our locations, beginning with anyone who has seen me. Are you ready? Go. Anyone who has seen me has seen... Yeah. What's Jesus saying? I am God in bodily form. If, you, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you've talked with me, you've talked with God. If you've prayed with me, you've prayed with God. If you've shared a meal with me, you have shared a meal with God, right? Jesus is God. And the reality is this, what you believe about who Jesus is matters deeply. And I want to say this with all clarity. If Jesus is not God, then Jesus is not your savior. He's something else. I don't know what he is, but if he's not God, then he's not your savior. And that matters deeply, absolutely deeply. And so Paul says salvation begins with Jesus. You can't, you can't bypass him. You have to actually go through him. But then he goes on in verse 11 and he talks and he says, baptism is also, it's a circumcision, right? It's a circumcision. And maybe for some of you, you're not familiar with this. And so I'm just going to tell you really plainly that in the Old Testament, uh, to become a Jew, right? To become a Hebrew, you had to go through circumcision. And so, by the way, this was only for the men. This is only for the males. Uh, and so what you did, if you're not familiar, is it was literally a physical cutting away of the foreskin to become Jewish, right? That's how you became a Hebrew. I'll tell you what, some of you guys complain that you got to go through a membership class. <laughs> All right? I'm just saying, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe back it down a little bit. It's just a membership class. We always give you food. Um, but, uh, right? but, you know, so, so they had to go through that to become a Jew, but what you don't understand is Old Testament circumcision was always pointing ahead to the true circumcision that would come through Christ. See, that was never the point. That was never the goal. It was a picture. It was a shadow. It was a representation of what Christ would do by faith in our lives. It's, and what it's referring to is it's referring to a cutting away of sin. That's the true circumcision that everybody goes through when they say yes to Jesus by faith. It's a cutting away of sin. This is not about the physical uh, ritual. It was pointing ahead to what Jesus would do. 
right? Actually, in Deuteronomy, right, this is the Old Testament, chapter 30, verse 6, it says this. This was God's plan for the intention. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. That is, check this out, he describes it. He will remove the desire to sin from your heart so that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul so that you may live as a recipient of his blessing. See, even in the Old Testament, it was pointing ahead to a circumcision of sin, removing it from your heart. By the way, Paul, who wrote Colossians, also wrote a letter to the Romans. And in chapter two, he writes this. For you're not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not people. And so what Paul is saying is you can do all of the religious acts you want in your life, and that does not save you. That does not cut away sin. That does not bring forgiveness. The only thing that can do that is Jesus, right? That's it. And so through Christ, the Holy Spirit cuts away the fallenness, the sin that guides us and guides you towards self-focused living. This is what Jesus does. And so salvation is a circumcision. But then also Paul continues on in verse 12. He says salvation is death and resurrection. That when you come to faith in Christ, there's a death and there's a resurrection, right? That's what Jesus did. He died on the cross for our sins and he was raised from the dead three days later. And what Paul says is we go through a death and a resurrection as well. That when we say yes to Jesus by faith, we are dying to our old way of living. And what's the old way of living? Well, the old way of living is me in charge. I'm the boss. I'm I'm El Presidente, right? I'm the manager. I'm directing my life however I want to. And what Paul says, no, when you come to faith in Christ, that old you dies and you actually got to bury that carcass. That's got to go away because there's a resurrection. There's a being raised to life. But the way Paul describes it, he says it's not being raised to your old way of living. He says actually you're being raised to a new kind of life. Not only new life, but a new kind of life. And this life is one that's actually marked by relying on God for everything. Right? Not just relying on him for more patience when somebody's bothering you and you want to punch him right in the nose. Right? No, I'm actually relying on him for everything. For forgiveness, for salvation, for guidance, for provision, for protection, for all of those things. This is a totally new kind of living. That's what salvation is. And so you've got to go through a death and you've got to go through a resurrection. And I want you to notice when you read through these verses 8 through 15, there's this, there's this what I would call in plain sight secret that if you don't look for it, you actually miss it. But when you see it, you can't unsee it. But it's there right in the passages. And the in plain sight secret is this, that this, this new life, this circumcision, this death and resurrection, it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Six times in those few verses, it said everything is in him or with him. In Christ or with Christ. In him or with him. Because of him. Because of Christ. With Christ. In Christ. Right? That this, he has done all of it. He's done all of the work. 
And so what Paul is describing, he says, listen, you were dead in your sin. Not that you were kind of making it. Not that you were doing it all right. You were dead. Okay? D-E-D, dead. That's how dead you were. There weren't even no A in it. Okay? Like you are out. You're dead in your sin. And the way he describes it, he says, you're in debt. And actually you're delinquent on your debt. And not only are you delinquent on your debt and the collector's coming to get payment, you're broke. And not only are you broke, no one will hire you. Go ahead and try to figure out how to pay your bill that you owe, that's unpayable, you're broke, and no one will hire you. That's our condition in sin. That's our condition without God. And so what has to happen is someone else has to pay your bill. That's the only way out. Someone else has to assume your debt, and that's what Jesus did. I want you to notice that Jesus lived a perfect human life in a sin-filled world. His whole life, he relied on God moment by moment. And so in doing that, what Jesus did is he actually fulfilled all of the requirements of the Old Testament. And that put him in a position to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And so what he does is because of his perfect life, Jesus paid your outstanding debt through his death on the cross. And then three days later, right, was the resurrection. And the resurrection is Jesus' final triumph and victory over sin and death. This is God putting an exclamation point on the person and the work of Jesus saying everything he's done is true and it's acceptable, and it's valid, and it covers you, and your debt, all everybody who will put their full weight and trust on Christ, your debt's paid. And not only is your debt paid, you're actually adopted into the family, you're given all of the inheritance, all of the, everything that's true about Jesus is now true about you, right? It's not you start from zero and you got to work your way up, you actually start from abundance, and you live there for the rest of eternity. That's what salvation is. And you have to understand salvation to be able to understand why baptism is so central to the life of not only every believer, but actually to the church as well. Because what baptism is, baptism is a physical image of a spiritual reality. That's what's going on. Baptism is the physical image of a spiritual reality. And so I want you to think about that. When somebody baptized, somebody's baptized, right? They're, they're brought down into the water. They're taken below the water, and then they're brought back up out of the water. And so what's happening there is it's this very, very vivid image of somebody being buried, right? You're going into the water, and you're being buried. And what salvation is, is your old life is being buried. And when, by the way, when you die physically, your body goes into the ground. And if, if you put somebody in the ground, and they're still alive, they're not going to be alive for very long, okay? It's not hospitable for long-term living. And so the same is true of water. If you put somebody in water, and you expect them to live down there, they're not going to survive very long. And so the whole idea is it's a representation of death, because that place can't sustain life. And it's representing death to your old life. Death to, death to Fritz being in charge. Death to Fritz uh, leading his life however he wants to. Death to Fritz responding to every situation any way that he wants to. That old Fritz is dead. It represents that. But then, 
There's a raised to new life, right? You're pulled up out of the water. There's a resurrection. What I find interesting is the way that we, well, basically Christians have been baptizing one another for centuries, is one Christian baptizes another, they put them down under the water, and then the Christian who's being baptized actually has to rely on the one doing the baptism to bring them back up. Do you see? It's a physical image of a spiritual reality. You don't raise yourself to a new life. Who raises you to new life? God does. And so in the same way, you have to rely on someone else to bring you up out of the water. You also have to rely on God to raise you to a new kind of living. And so baptism, you have to see, is this amazingly beautiful picture of the spiritual reality of salvation. And if you miss what salvation is, if you think salvation is just a prayer so that you can go to heaven but live your life here however you want for the rest of your life, you'll totally miss the power and the beauty and and the remarkableness of baptism. It is a physical image of a spiritual reality. And every time you witness someone being baptized, you're watching the gospel play out in front of you. It's, It's like painting. It's watching somebody paint a picture. It's watching somebody sculpt a sculpture. Right? It's watching somebody, you know, throw a pot or or a mug or something along those lines. It's beautiful. It's remarkable. And the Bible says that every born-again believer should be baptized. That's what it says. I want to give you just really quickly four reasons why every believer should be baptized. The first one is this. Jesus commanded it. He did. By the way, I, that, that should be enough, <laughs> right? Like I have four or three more reasons the Bible shares, but that should be enough. Because what is salvation? Salvation is turning away from life under my own direction, my own understanding, doing things my way. I have to have all my ducks in a row before I take a step. And living under Jesus' leadership is actually walking with him and trusting him, even when it's a little weird. And so you go, wait, I, I have to get in water and be put underwater and then brought up underwater to follow Jesus? Like, what? What is that? Why would I do that? It's like, oh, because Jesus asked us to. And that's the way we live now. We live walking in obedience to Jesus. Right in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, right before he ascends to heaven, Jesus gathers his disciples together. And the first thing he says is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Right? This is why obedience is the best, or excuse me, that's why baptism is the best first step for every believer. By the way, one pastor wrote this. He said, getting wet is the easiest command Jesus gave us to follow. It only gets more challenging from there. (laughs) So we start with baby steps and then we go on from there. But Jesus commanded his followers to be baptized. Another reason every believer should be baptized is because it's normal practice of the church. You read through the book of Acts. People came to faith, and then they were baptized. People came to faith, and then they were baptized. That is, that is right? And we're just following what Jesus taught us to do. A third reason is um, we're not, we, we share this a lot during uh, baptism services at Lighthouse, is we're not always present when a person says yes to Jesus. 
Um, and so, right, because maybe you did that in your room or in your car, or maybe you did it in a moment of private prayer in a service, and so we don't know about it. Uh, but baptism is this great time for the church family to come together, and we actually get to celebrate together what God has done in your life. And so this is a great time to celebrate and see God moving and working in the lives of people and to rejoice that somebody has passed out of death and into life. And then here's the last reason that I think every believer should be baptized. What happens is a lot of times when people get baptized here at Lighthouse, they invite their friends and their family. And a lot of times you have friends and family who aren't Christians. And they come and they're like, okay, I guess I'll come to this thing. And they watch and they're like, what was that all about? And they start asking questions on the back end of that. And those questions become open doors for God to begin working in their life, right? You can begin to share with them why you took up the step of baptism. It's because I've been, I've been dead to sin, right? I've been buried with Christ, right? I'm dead to sin. I've now been raised to life in Christ, to a whole new kind of living. And so you can begin to share those answers, and you get an opportunity to share your faith with the other people around you. And so there's a lot of other reasons, but those are just four quick reasons of why I think scripture would say every believer should take the step of baptism. Now, uh, when we started this, uh, I'm aware that there are a lot of questions about baptism. Some are logistical, some are theological, and um, we, we can't answer all of those questions, but I want to walk through just a couple of those questions, and maybe it'll be helpful for you this morning. Uh, one question that gets asked is, who, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? And so uh, scripture would say again and again and again that people who should be baptized is every person who has truly been born again through faith in Jesus Christ right? That's who baptism is for, right? Again, you see that in the book of Acts. It's people putting their faith in Jesus as their forgiver and their leader, and following that, they take the step of baptism in their lives. And so every person who's born again should be baptized. Now, I thought it might be helpful to say this. Who shouldn't be baptized? Well, maybe in one answer, it's like, People who aren't saved, right? Like you, you shouldn't be baptized if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I would also say people who are looking for like an emotional moment, um, because they're looking for some type of assurance that they don't have, and they're thinking maybe baptism will give that to me, or I'm looking for kind of a rush, and I think baptism might do that for me. Um, if that's your goal and your primary focus, you shouldn't be baptized. You also shouldn't be baptized if you're being pressured by someone else to do it, right? And you're not walking out of obedience to Jesus, Okay, um, so those are people who should not be baptized, but people who, right, people who have been saved. By the way, if you're in any of those categories we just talked about, where basically you're, just, you're not a Christian, but you're kind of working through baptism, here's what I would encourage you to do. Don't start with baptism. Where did Paul say we start? With Jesus. Start with Jesus. Baptisms isn't going to solve your questions. Who will? Jesus. Because it starts with him. It's in him. And you have to see that Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit has to open your eyes to the reality that without him, you're dead in your sin. But with him, you're raised to a new life that you were always designed to live. Start with Jesus, not baptism. Another question uh, I get asked often is, when should I be baptized? Well, the Bible would say, as soon as you believe. Uh, there's actually an account where uh, one of the disciples, his name is Philip, uh, he's traveling down a road, the Holy Spirit tells him to go walk next to a chariot, and he hears a guy reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip goes, do you understand what you're reading? And he goes, no. 
And so Philip hops up into the chariot, talks about scripture with him. The guy ends up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Philip, we imagine, is probably explaining truth to him about who Jesus is and all, all those types of things. And all of a sudden, they see some water on the side of the road. And the guy goes, hey, stop, stop, stop. There's water here. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip goes, okay, let's do it. And so he baptism right there. Like, I don't know, the guy might have been of faith like 30 minutes. I don't know, an hour, maybe a few hours. And he takes the step of baptism. And so, right, you just, you take this. It's, when should I do it? You do it. As soon as you come to faith, as soon as you can. That seems to be the biblical example. Here's another question. We kind of started with this. I was baptized as an infant. What do I do? I was baptized as an infant. What do I do? Here's how I would start with that question. In the Bible, there are no instances of infant baptism. You can't find them. They're not there. You actually have to read into Scripture and make a lot of assumptions to try to get there. There are no explicit examples of infant baptism. And the reason why is in the Bible, baptism always follows faith. Faith is first. Baptism comes next. Why? Because baptism is a physical image of the spiritual reality. If the spiritual reality hasn't happened, there's no need for the physical image because it hasn't happened for that person. And so faith always comes before baptism, right? You don't baptize somebody in the hopes that they'll come to faith. You baptize them in celebration that Jesus has already done that work in them. Now, a couple of nuanced things. uh, where do I want to start? Um, <laughs> we're going to open up cans and I'm going to walk away. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, okay, here's what I would say. Um, I'll just share a practice that my family has. Uh, all of our kids have come to faith at an early age, like five, six years old. Um, and so we have taken a practice in our family um, is to kind of hold off them taking the step of baptism until they're a little bit older. And let me tell you why. Uh, not because I don't think that they're genuinely saved. Uh, not that at all. Uh, or that they can't grasp baptism and so they shouldn't be able to. Uh, I've been in ministry now for two decades. And you might be surprised by the number of conversations I have with 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old people who say, uh, I, remember, I remember like being in church when I was young. Uh, I got baptized when I was like seven. Um, but I'm not sure if I didn't really come to faith until later in life. Do I need to get baptized again? And they're like wrestling with that. And they don't know what to do because they want to walk in obedience to Jesus. Because you know, like, I think I was baptized because other kids in my class were getting baptized. Um, I think I was baptized because my parents really pressured me. I got baptized because, you know, whatever it is, but I don't know that I was really a faith. And so should I get baptized? And so for our family, we said, hey, um, I believe that my kids said yes to Jesus at a young age. And so we've kind of said, hey, why don't we wait until you're about 10 and we can have really good conversations about what that means and then take the step of baptism. I remember my oldest son, Jackson, he came to faith at five years old at a backyard Bible club that Christina and I led for just our neighborhood. Um, and he was, he was one kid. It was funny. It was after it was all over. Like I, I think one kid at the backyard Bible club said yes. And I was like, oh, that's great. And then four hours later, Jackson's like, well, I think I want to follow Jesus. Like, yeah, you can do that. Um, and so uh, we're like, hey, 
you know, let's work through all of that. So he was getting close to his 10th birthday, and that dude was like asking about baptism, 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 baptism. Like, well, let's talk more. Let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. So finally, he threatened to go to another church and have them (laughs) baptize him if we didn't do it. (laughs) It's like, okay, he might be ready, you know. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So I'm just, I'm not saying that's a hard and fast rule. I'm sharing that from a pastoral standpoint because what I want to do is I want to save my, my kids' pastors in 30 years the conversation that I have with many people so that they can go, yeah, I, man, I, was, I told my dad, if you don't baptize me, like, I'm going to tell Jesus on you, right? <laughs> and so we did. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we'll work with you, like, you know, maybe you're in that situation, we'll help walk with you through that. Um, hmm. Oh, okay, Here, here's two things really, really quickly. What's the best way to be baptized? Sprinkling, pouring, immersion. Just very quickly, the biblical example is immersion. Being put under the water, being brought out. Because baptism literally means to immerse. That's what the word baptize means, to be put under and out, right? Um, and so, uh, and, and by the way, you can be baptized anywhere. We do it a lot of times Sunday mornings in a horse trough. Uh, that's typically what we do. But we've done baptisms in a pond. We've done baptisms in a pool. We've done baptisms at the YMCA. Uh, we've been, done baptisms in the lake. Uh, we've, we've, if you're crazy enough, we've done baptism in the Blanchard River while we're being nibbled by fish right down there. I assume they're fish. Um, but right, like craziness. But you can be baptized anywhere. But immersion is the biblical example. And here's the last big question. Do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? No, you don't. You are only saved by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that saves you. Nothing else can. What I would say, though, baptism is the first step that Jesus asks all of his followers to take. It's a physical image of a spiritual reality. No, you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. It's a really good step that Jesus asks us to do. And so, right, I was baptized as an infant. I came to faith much later in life. uh, And I didn't know about baptism until my pastor asked me. And so what happened is after we talked about that, I said, well, when are we, when is our next baptism? And I'm from Port Clinton, Ohio. And in Port Clinton, Ohio, we don't baptize people in a horse trough in a church. We go out to Lake Erie and we baptize people there. By the way, baptism is supposed to be a cleansing. <laughs> Lake Erie. Okay, just saying. So anyways, I remember the date and getting ready for the date. I remember inviting people to come and join me. I remember getting in my car right ahead of time, getting dressed and changed to go out there, getting in my car, driving to East Harbor State Park, the beach, parking my car, walking out to the beach, seeing literally hundreds of people on the beach in the summertime. Uh, I, you know, I think they were all there to see me baptized. But um, so we, we walk out. There's like 20 of us or so that walk out into, if you've ever been to East Harbor State Park, how many of you have been to East East Harbor State Park, the beach there. Yeah. So we walk out 20 yards, still not deep enough. 40 yards, still not deep enough. 100 yards, still not deep enough. Right. And so finally, like, this is going to be good enough. Um, So we get out there and I remember my pastor, you know, holding me and saying those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, puts me down, takes me up. And, And I want to tell you, up until that moment, I had been saved probably four years before that. Up until that moment, what Satan would do, he would constantly chip away and he would go, you didn't really, you think 
You were saved that Thursday night in a service. You were emotional that night. That's what that was. You're not really a Christian. Look at your life. You don't really love God. Think, look at all this. Look at all that. Look at all these types of things. And what happened for me is after I was baptized, Satan couldn't use that anymore because I, I remember being so sober-minded, getting up that morning, getting changed, getting in my car, driving to the beach, walking to the beach in front of hundreds of people, I don't know who they are, getting baptized, coming up out of the water. For me, that was a flag in the ground where I could go, okay, maybe you can chip away at me, Satan, about that night on Thursday. But I know I made this decision empowered by God to do it. I belong to him and he belongs to me. I was not saved when I was baptized. I was saved that Thursday night. But God did something in my heart and in my mind through that baptism moment. There's something powerful about baptism in the life of a believer. And I thought it might be helpful to just take a look at some of our friends here at Lighthouse Community who have been baptized recently. And I want you to, as you look at this, especially look at the expressions on their faces. So take a quick look at this short video. So yeah, you can see my, my, all these people, man, are taking this stuff up. It's like so cool. It's so amazing seeing the joy of what Jesus is doing in their lives. This is what we're talking about. This is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And so I want to throw out for some of you, some of you, this, this is a step that Jesus is inviting you to take, whether you're here at Lighthouse or you're joining at Bluffton. And so I want to let you know at both locations, beginning on February 18th, that's a Sunday morning, we're going to be taking, inviting you to take the step of baptism uh, on that morning. So if that's you, right, grab your blue connection card, flip over to the back, take a look at the thing, and it says, um, send me information about taking the step of baptism on February 18th. You check that box, we'll just give you information on how you can take that next step. I also know this. Some of you still have a lot of questions about baptism because we didn't answer them all. We can't answer them all right now. But will we put an option on your connection card that says, I still have questions about baptism. Would one of the pastors or one of the elders or leaders from Lighthouse or Bluffton reach out to me to talk to me about baptism in my life? Because it's not always this clean cut, clean cut, clear and dry thing. And we need to work through it through the truth of scripture. So I want to invite you to use that as an option as well. Because as a church, we want to walk with you through this step in your life.
Martin Luther wrote this. He said that baptism signifies that the old Adam in us is to be drowned by daily sorrow and repentance and perish with all sins and evil lusts and that the new man should daily come forth again and rise who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Baptism is a physical image of a spiritual reality. Baptism is a beautiful picture of what it is to be saved in Christ, with Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. At all our locations, I want to ask you to ask this one question, Jesus, what are you saying to me through this message right now? And then I want you to listen to him. Lord, my prayer is, is that this morning through the truth of Scripture, it has become abundantly clear that the baptism isn't just some initiatory rite entering into the church. This is a step of faith. This is a moment where somebody who has already been saved, already forgiven, already made new, takes a step of trust, and yet in, the, in simple water, wherever it is, you do something special in that moment. And my prayer is that, that any person here who's genuinely been born again, who hasn't taken that step of life, Lord, by your spirit, not, not by my convincing or conjoling, but by your spirit and by the truth of scripture, they would want to trust you in this practical way. My prayer is maybe this has cleared up some things for people who have been confused about things in their own lives. My prayer is, more than anything, that you've been glorified. You've been seen rightly through the scriptures and by the power of your spirit. And we ask you to continue to do a work in us through the spirit because of Jesus. We want to pray for you this morning. One of the things we do at Lighthouse Community every week is uh, the band's going to come up and they're just going to sing one more song. And if you want to pray, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to slip out of your seat and go to one of the four corners of the room. And I'm going to ask our prayer leaders if they will head to uh, their location so that people know that you are ready to pray with them about anything at all this morning. So we'll have one up here by the cross, one back by the sound booth, back by the double doors, and then up here uh, by the sign as well. And, and you can pray about any area of your life, any area at all. And, and you don't have to be a member of Lighthouse Community to receive prayer. Um, anybody can pray. And please don't ever be embarrassed to want to receive prayer. I know sometimes it can be like, what will somebody think if I go up there? I will tell you what we will think if somebody sees you going up there. They'll think, that person wants to pray. Great. And so don't ever be embarrassed because every one of us need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. We all need prayer. And so I'm going to ask you here in the house, those who are with us, uh, let's stand together as we prepare to worship and some of us prepare to head to pray with one of our leaders this morning. 
I want to pray for you, and then I want to invite you to come down to one of the corners as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.